Greetings, programs, and welcome back to the Awesome Friday Podcast. Uh, I am your host. My name is Matthew, and with me as is de rigueur, Simon. How are you, Simon? Hello. Good morning. I keep trying well, to come up I... with better ways to, like, new and different ways to introduce you, but it's always, you know, relatively early Fine. in the morning. And you know, I, always forget, let... I always forget until the moment, too, so. We've fallen into the pattern of you taking, the like, the heavy lifting of introducing every week. So why don't I introduce you, you sit back, and I introduce you, and I'll come up with new and interesting ways. <laughs> I'll introduce uh, you as, as, as Vancouver's tallest man and most that's, handsome. Like, that's... every week will be a compliment. I mean, those two things are both demonstrably not true. I am not the tallest. I'm not even the tallest person that I know. And I definitely have a face made for radio, which is why we have a radio show. So, oh, you. Yeah. Um, anyway, I'm fine. I just got rid of uh, the last of my daughter's friends who stayed over for the night, um, which was um, horrific. Oh, no, it's fine. What, you know, what I'm about um, to say, what I'm about to say sounds like a complaint, but it's actually totally earnest in that I do really enjoy how the first five minutes of the show is always Simon, always you saying, I'm so, so tired because of my kids. Look, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like, love, is, love is a weird thing, right? Love makes us do stupid things. Like... We we uh, accept failures that we wouldn't accept from everyone else because we love the person, or we we think we change our entire life plans because we love that person. And it turns out that uh, when you have children, you've stretched that theory like so it's thin. It's like croissant pastry thin. That theory, uh, love stretches a long way. And um, uh, I think what I'm trying to do is. Uh, uh, convince our listeners at large that if you don't want children, that's fine. <laughs> like they're great and bring so much to you. But also sometimes how much do you like staying in bed and watching a movie like in the morning? Like think about that. But um, I do love my children. The second of which has just turned nine. And so we had a bunch of her friends over. So I fed them all last night and I fed them all this morning and they are ravenous beasts whose appetites cannot be, satiated and um it was exhausting but it's done now i mean that <laughs> sounds <are> sounds <laughs> like uh, a horror movie but anyway uh well, pretty much i'm is. fine we we took a week off um for various reasons and it was quite restful and i'm actually quite mm. grateful for it yeah um, i needed that too uh just you know stuff just didn't stuff happens you know um we never we almost never intend to take a break week when, when, when it happens mm. but uh mm. We, uh, we needed one last week, so we took it. And this week we got into, uh, we were in a, we got a press screening of a movie that by the time you listen to this will be out. Um, so that was fun. And uh, I enjoy that I now have the time to do those things when, uh, when I can, thanks to a recent career shift. And I, I enjoy working from home. Yeah, honestly, that's just my whole update. I work mostly from home now and it's kind of great. And it's great, isn't it? It's, it's, uh, it's great. It's just really great. <laughs> That's all I got. Um, yeah. What have you? Since we have had a, a you know a two week break, has there been anything yeah. other than the two films we're obviously talking about today? Has there been anything <laughs> that you have watched recently that sure. is notable uh, that sure. perhaps rhymes with um, um, Mitz Blaway's <laughs> Crunny in Schmilliden? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? I, I have watched a lot more It's Always Sunny, and I'm still absolutely horrified at uh, how gloriously horrible and terrible these people are. I've just watched um, the episode where they have to do um, community service, and they decide to train the basketball team, and they end up gambling on the basketball team. But um, Dennis and Mac um, are competing... Uh, basketball coaches and Dennis gets, goes in and gets first pick of all the kids and he actively like chooses all the kids of a certain <laughs> ethnicity uh, and Matt so comes like, what are you doing? What you doing? You can't do that. You can't take all that. Don't make me say it. Like, you can't do it. Like, and it's just, and Dennis, Dennis, I think, like, Mac is is I've talked about Mac a lot on our on our text stream with our lovely friend of the show Rachel. There's something about Mac that we've always all of all men for sure have been Mac at some point to a certain degree. Like narcissistic, incredibly flirtatious, living day by day, uh, completely open to anything with a heartbeat, and um, 
uh, fully embracing of bad ideas because they they might have some good parts that like we um uh it's just terrible and but max kind of a lovable rogue and charlie is kind of a a, a childlike rogue and Dean charlie is, is a like, charlie's a psychopath and that becomes yeah, clear he, as the show goes on <laughs> but he's a child like he's just he's a child all, all children are psychopaths so maybe yeah. that's why i recognize it but dennis dennis is just really bitterly evil like there's something about him he's not likable in any way and the way he goes through life just trying to get everything from everyone and not give up any of his like clearly uh uh, uh he and d come from money and they've not had to want for anything and uh he is just a piece of shit isn't he but yep. it's it's he's compelling a, it's a womanizing it's really sociopath he's he's I mean, they're all the worst. That's the whole thing. You're only yeah. if you're on the gang gives back, then you're only like halfway yeah. or a little over halfway through season two, and you haven't even gotten right. to any of like I would argue. There's some good stuff in season one, season two, but you haven't gotten to really any of the like legitimately great stuff. Right. Well, the because um, um, the show, like I'm, the show, is is the show is the show from day one. It, um, I guess from the beginning of season two when Frank joins them, that's really when it becomes the show we all know and love today. But uh, it also, like, it doesn't really, in my opinion, fully hit its stride until season three, um, which is where, like, season three is mostly great. And that's the first right. season that's mostly great. So I have to say, <laughs> at this point, I prefer non-Frank It's Always Sunny to Frank It's Always Sunny. Mm-hmm. That's um, interesting. I, so I'm midway through season two. So season one didn't have Frank. At the moment, I prefer the dynamic in season one to the dynamic in season two. So part of the problem with season two is that Frank is played relatively straight as compared to how, like at a certain oh. point, at a certain point <laughs> in the show, Frank chooses to live in squalor and be on the fringes of society. And then he becomes way more interesting. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I'm glad you're enjoying it. I hope you keep watching. And, uh, yeah, I might. I, we, I should, might, we should I, make a sister. See, we should make a sister podcast where we just talk about episodes. It's always something. We should. I made the mistake this week. I've had very uh, few lunch times where I usually watch It's Always Sunny, and I had one this week. And instead of It's Always Sunny, I started watching Avatar two, and I feel like that was a mistake because I just watched um, Across the Spider Verse, and I was very much enjoying It's Always Sunny and Avatar two. Just felt like a bit of a damp squib compared to both of those really but that's a whole different podcast i have three hours left of that fucker to go you know i on the other hand have been watching re-watching um hbo's rome which uh oh, yes. two seasons in the mid zeros spurred on by the fact that uh unfortunately uh oh god uh, ray stevenson ray stevenson wow i just totally mind farted that away um, Ray Stevenson recently passed, which is very sad. I've always really liked him, and Rome was the first thing I can recall having really seen him in. It was either that or King Arthur. I can't remember which. Um, but certainly Rome was the first time where I was like, I will watch anything this man is in. <clears throat> so I decided to rewatch it, and it turns out that HBO has been making good TV shows for a very long time. <laughs> I don't know if you were aware of this, but I think The I've Sopranos heard, even started the in the 90s. Uh, and like, I, I have, I, <clears throat> yeah, so the Sopranos started in 99, um, The Wire started in 2002, so all around that time when they were really starting to put money into TV, and The Rome lasted for two 10-episode seasons, and I just wish they had made five, ten, I think they originally planned for five, and they only made two due to production costs, but I wish it had kept going. It's so, <clears throat> so amazingly cast and well-produced it's sort of basic stuff today like but they built for the city of rome they built just five acres of a roman city they just built rome they just built five acres of rome for the show to take place in and that's something you would definitely still get today but in 2005 it was like they spent how much per episode they, they did mm. they built what as a set <clears throat> and you know so between when... between that and having Ray Stevenson and Kevin McKidd as Titus Polo and Lucius Farinas and Kieran Hines as uh, Julius oh, so Caesar good. is is yeah. so good. And it was also the first show I think where I really saw, I really saw James Purefoy who plays Mark Antony, and he is so fucking good as Mark Antony hmm. as this like 
hedonist creature who's like made entire he's like basically it and super ego and nothing else it's amazing <laughs> um i just got to the first episode of season two the uh, so caesar is assassinated at the end of season one. Whoa, spoilers i know right uh, you know what though if it happened two thousand years ago then i saw spoilers. <laughs> um <clears throat> but uh you know as as you're probably aware uh the story of julius caesar has been adapted a few times yes, um but there's a really there's a really great moment in season two, episode one, where Caesar is dead and they make this deal that like, basically they, the, the Brutus and Cassius and company say that like, we killed him because he's a tyrant. And Mark Antony's like, if he's a tyrant, then none of us hold the offices that we do and nothing Caesar did is legal. So we have to have elections and reorganize the government and everyone's like, oh shit, he's right. So they have this big public funeral and they don't show the speeches. Like, obviously, it's one of the most famous pair of speeches in all of Shakespeare is Brutus and Mark Antony and Julius Caesar. Mm. And they don't show them. They just show this, this basically in montage, this series of scenes of, like, a crowd whipped into a frenzy and a huge funeral pyre. It's a couple of minutes long. And then it cuts to them in a room with just with James Purefoy with the smuggest look on his face being like, no, no, it, it, it was a good speech, Brutus. Um, <laughs> perhaps a bit too cerebral for this crowd. <laughs> uh, and, and yeah, Brutus being like, oh, you 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 won the crowd, but, you know, I have all the men of quality. And Brut and then our Antony being like, I have a mob that will rip your men of quality in half, <laughs> like literally with their bare hands. It's such it's such a great show. Oh. You're about You're to ask a question about me. it. No, I, you are sending it to me. I was, um, see, I, there was definitely a turning point from TV being this throwaway, bold and beautiful kind of, uh, not very deep at all for a long time. And then uh, you think about the idea of prestige TV that's synonymous with HBO now, which is so ridiculous that they've dropped the HBO name from mm. HBO Max. So what what was the turning point? Was it was it The Sopranos, or was there something before The Sopranos that started this whole idea of modern prestige TV? Because I know Sopranos influenced everything, and The Wire obviously influenced everything beyond it, and gave TV this idea that it could have the big, big actors. And and I remember I was working the first um, the uh, the writers' strike in twenty two thousand nine, and all the parts disappeared from my level because um the the movies hadn't been written but the tv shows had so the actors were coming down and working in prestige tv and so the actors that usually got leads got uh featured extra and then every everyone got shunted down because tv was having this prestige moment just at the same time so what when did when did tv change from being kind of throwaway crap to the, this event the, the the weekly events that that we see these days I mean, it was probably, I would have to go back and do some more research, but it was probably, I mean, definitely driven by HBO. And I don't think, like, definitely The Sopranos and The Wire and right around the same time, Six Feet Under. But also, Oz started two years before that in 97. Um, but they also cope, like, they've been making TV shows for a long time. The Larry Sanders Show started in 1992. Um, Mr. Show with Bob and David, uh, which was a famously sketch sketch comedy show with David Cross and Bob Odenkirk was the mid nineties of memory serves. Um, so they've, been making, so they've been making TV for a long time. Um, mm. but they really started pouring money into it. Yeah. In the late nineties. So there was, um, probably so all around the same time, there would have been Arliss, which was about a sports agent that had lots of like real athlete cameos, um, sex in the city, uh, Sopranos, oh, Oz. Yeah. So yeah, late like that's like ninety six to two thousand, and The Wire would have been The Wire and Six Feet Under, which I think were two thousand one, two thousand two, and then I would I would also count Carnival in that like early phase, but that show got canceled way too early. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, like right around right around the turn of the century would be the answer, and basically I would say driven by HBO because everyone started trying to compete with what they were doing, right? right? Yeah, um, I've got sex once in the they, city once, so once they 
once they started winning all the awards for all of the things mm. and like driving subscribers based on the things they were showing, I think people went, Oh shit, yeah. that's a way we can make money. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's the money. That's right. As soon as the money comes in, that's where the prestige comes. What about pushing daisies? Is that in that mix as well? Or is it not the same standard? Uh, pushing daisies was what? The late zeros. And also it was on, oh, I think it was it? just on network TV. Uh, yeah, it was on oh, ABC. Oh, what about Twin Peaks? Twin Peaks has a hand in this. Uh, Twin sure. Peaks was early '90s, though, right? Like '90s, like 1990. That was that, that was, was definitely an... considered a, a highbrow TV show. Like that was that's, that's I would say more in the like cult area of things, at least at the time. Well, and it wouldn't be, and but like we've always had TV shows that were big draws. You know, the X-Files, um, Star Trek, uh, mm. lots and lots and lots of shows. You know, Friday night mm. TV, like when it was like Family Matters and Full House and all that stuff, was a mm. big deal. But when it started changing from being like, that's just TV to, oh, we can take this medium seriously, definitely right around mm. the turn of the century. Definitely right. late 90s, early 2000s, for sure. Right. Um. And yeah, and Rome was right on the tail end of that first wave, and uh, mm. I think everyone. Should, I I think it's one of their most. I'm about to say underrated, but I think a better way to say it would be that like we still talk about The Wire, we still talk about The Sopranos, and we still uh, talk about Sex in the City, um, but we don't. <laughs> but we don't talk about Rome in the same breath, and I think we really should. Um, I mm. think it's. I think it's right up there in terms of um, things that they produce that are. Um, amazingly produced, written, acted, everything. Mm -hmm. And it's a shame that it got cancelled after two seasons. Um, when they were, mm. they were originally intending to do five. I know they, they, apparently they like pulled a bunch of the stuff they had planned for seasons three, four, and five into season two and gave it like an accelerated time frame, timeline. But mm -hmm. uh, I just wish they'd had all five seasons to play, you know? Mm -hmm. And that was also... I think, you know, Carnival is a good example of one of the earliest sort of big swings that, like, if Carnival came out today, it would be all we were talking about. But it came out in 2002, 2003, and people were like, what, what is this? Like, what is this show? I, I have to tune in every week? Like, what is happening? What is happening? <laughs> like, complicated mythology. Who can live at that speed? Oh, I've not heard of Carnival, but yeah, it sounds like you're talking about Lost. Is it the same kind of tone? Is Lost, no. does Lost owe, owe anything to Carnival? Nope. No, not really. Carnival is a show, it ran for two seasons, and part of it, part of its death was that there was a big gap between season one and season two. And then when season two came back, it was on the same night as Desperate Housewives, which was a big deal at the time. And I remember oh, this distinctly yeah. because I loved this show and I was so upset when it got cancelled. But basically... It's set in the Dust Bowl in the 30s, uh, and it follows a young man played by Nick Stahl who has these supernatural abilities and through the course. And it also follows Clancy Brown, who plays a preacher, like an old school like radio preacher in the Dust Bowl, who also has some weird supernatural abilities. And it turns out through the course of the show that into every generation of man is born like an avatar of light and an avatar of darkness, and they are destined to do battle with one another. And it's, it gets very complicated very quickly. <laughs> um, but it's beautifully produced, wonderfully acted. And just like, if you're like me, and if you're like basically everyone today in the year of our Lord 2023 who wants to get into shows and like follow along with complicated mythology, like this is, I would Ooh. say, one of the earliest great examples of that. Wow. But it was just too complicated for the time. Yeah. Yeah, and it's got Jimmy Jimmy Simpson in it as well, which is always something. Jimmy and Clancy always might be watched whatever they're in, so I'm definitely going to seek that out. Does it have Jimmy Simpson? I don't think it does. Yeah, apparently the the, the cast list lists him as Eddie as Eddie. Oh, I don't oh, remember. No, him, but Lee, it's been a, Lee. It's been a while since I uh, rewatched it, but uh... I do recognize a ton of character actors that I've seen in other weird, like zany stuff as well. Oh, I mean, Michael J. Anderson, who's one of the most famous, mm -hmm. uh, like, dwarf actors. Um, Adrian Barbeau, Patrick Bachau, uh, yeah. Tim Decay, Clea Duvall is in it. She's great. John Fleck mm -hmm. is great. Toby, that was the first show where I first saw and really, like, was like, oh, I love Toby Huss. That guy is great. Um, 
Carla Gall. I could just I could we could do a whole show just about Carnival. Yeah. It's so good. <laughs> okay. I'll so watch we should it. stop. Um, okay. But uh, and it was it was supposed to run for six years. They had a six year plan, uh, three two season like chapters, and uh, mm-hmm. they only got two seasons. And it was uh, it's a shame. It's a real shame. Hmm. Too bad. Yeah. I will check that out. Uh, it's Kids, ripe for the course. remake. If anybody's listening, it's ripe for a remake. I'm just saying. <laughs> or maybe a legacy Talking sequel. Of... <laughs> I'm going to have to watch it so we can talk about it next week, aren't we? Yep. yep. So what are we talking about this week? Let's get into our... Let's get stuck into our two beautiful thing movies that we're watching this week. Yes, this week we are going to... We're talking about two movies, as is... Uh, standard. Um, one of which has been out for a while on Prime, another one which is new in cinemas. Let's start with the one that's been out for a while, which is the um, sports sports marketing drama Air, which is on <laughs> uh, which is on Amazon Prime Video, or just Prime Video, I think is how they prefer to have it referred to. Uh, mm-hmm. s- directed by Ben Affleck, starring Affleck and Matt Damon and Jason Bateman and Viola Davis and. Chris Messina and a number of other people. Mm-hmm. Chris Tucker, um, Chris Tucker, who's really good in it, I think. Yeah, it um, is. and it's it's a it's the story of how Nike created the Air Jordan shoe line, which is which very interesting. And like it's on paper, it sounds like a, one of those weird stories. Like it doesn't sound like it should work, but it really does. Um, basically, Matt Damon plays Sonny Vaccaro who's a real person um, who is basically he's a marketing VP at Sony at uh, Sony at Nike. And he is looking for that next big thing. And he he's passionate about basketball. And he thinks that if they don't do something, they're going to basically, they should just, if they don't find someone to be their spokesperson. They should just stop selling basketball shoes and they need to come up with a way to do it. That not every other company is doing it. And his idea is that they build a shoe around a personality rather than putting a personality into their shoes. And he wants to do it with Michael Jordan, who is one of the most promising young draft picks of 1984. And what follows is basically a story about Matt Damon being super good at his job. And it is (laughs) kind of wonderful. I don't really want to talk too much about it because about the plot, because it is, um, first of all, it's all public record. If you really want to know what happened, you can go look it up. Um, but also, like, it is surprising and sentimental and well-acted. And I really enjoy Matt Damon and <clears throat> Ben Affleck have such a natural chemistry with one another. Uh, Affleck playing his boss. <clears throat> um, but I don't know. I just, it's such a good movie. I don't really... I don't really know what to say. It's so good. You know, it's one of those films where whenever anyone says, why don't they make movies for adults anymore this year? You can just point at this movie and be like, it's right there. It's right there on prime. I mean, this is, this is, this is prime dad drama. Like I'm, I, I've seen a number of people trying to work out a genre for this because it's a bunch of middle-aged, slightly podgy guys with contracts trying to land a contract and like that yeah. genre is represented very well this year with Blackberry as well, and uh, it's the same genre as Moneyball. And um, I haven't seen any of the other ones, but I'm sure there's lots of others. But it's it, it's it very openly. What I found really interesting about this is that it's very openly about everything that isn't Michael G- Jordan specifically like he is in this movie, but you never. I don't think you ever even see his face. You he see never. He doesn't have any. Lo- he doesn't have any lines. lines. You never see and, his face. And um, you see his kind of his his figure, and it's it's about him, but it's got nothing to do with him at all. And I think that's a really interesting choice. There yeah, is definitely just, some footage of him, but um, there's there's archive footage of him playing. Um, yeah, but there's no, every time he's like in a scene, it's he's shot from the back. He never speaks. It's always his mother or father speaking, who are played yeah. very wonderfully. By uh, Viola Davis and um, Julius Tennant, I think plays the dad. Um, uh, yes, Julius yeah. Tennant. And uh, <clears throat> you're right. It's 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 not about 
Michael Jordan. It's interesting because I would really like to talk about there's a great speech in the third act where Matt Damon finally gets the chance to like pitch this contract to Michael Jordan and his parents about what they're trying to do with the heir Jordan. And it basically just sums up the whole movie that like what they're trying to do is build something, a legacy that will outlast all of them that like no one's going to remember Sonny Vaccaro. No one's going to remember even maybe Nike, but they're all going to remember Michael Jordan and his Air Jordans. And it's a wonderful speech. Yeah. Um, and it also basically sums up what the movie's about, right? Like it's, this is why they yeah. made that movie. This is why they, this is why they, they made the movie. This is why they told the story the way they did. Cause it isn't, it isn't about Michael. It's about what Michael represents, and it is super good. Although it is, is it, it is a bit weird. It is a bit weird. It does go without. It should be mentioned that it is a bit weird that a show that's centered around black men is has the protagonists are all pudgy middle aged white dudes. But that's you know. Well, I mean, all but all but one. I found that interesting too. And uh, but I guess when when you're talking very specifically of the story of this shoe company that was known for just being old older white guy running shoes trying to land a black basketball star and it's run by actual older middle-aged white guys apart from one black guy then i don't think you've got much option when it comes to the casting of that story to tell it in a truthful way so i i don't i don't have a problem with that what i found really interesting about this film is that compared to blackberry and compared to moneyball so these are these are movies where the the uh, business negotiations is the meat of this of, of these kind of movies. Like the um, same with Tetris as well, and it, you're always waiting for that moment where the central protagonist has the the idea that drives their target towards them, or that that clicks. You know that clicking moment. And Tetris and BlackBerry and Moneyball are all quite complicated in their sort of negotiations and contract points. And I found that Air didn't have that um, complication. Maybe it didn't exist in real life, or maybe they chose to tell the, the, that part of the story in a much um, uh, more straightforward way. But on the flip side, I thought this film was so well written and acted and directed, I didn't mind the lack of complexity when it came to the... Um, the contract negotiation. I actually think it was a right call because no one really wants to watch a movie about contract negotiations. Everyone's more interested in the human drama. And there's a lovely, lovely, lovely scene between Jason Bateman, who, I mean, uh, you're going to correct me on this, but Jason Bateman, who you primarily think of as just a comedic actor, and he's a brilliant comedic actor. Now, I know I haven't seen Ozark. I know I understand that's a thing. But... He's he's in a more straight, a more dramatic role in this, and it's a lovely reminder that oh, Jason Bateman is like brilliant as a scene actor, and there's a great scene between him and Matt Damon where Jason Bateman's just talking about how uh, how he has pride in the company and he just like the company is so important to him as a connection with his daughter and he's going through this divorce and because he gives her free shoes and, and it's just it's it's. Uh, like Affleck directs the shit out of this film and it's, Mm -hmm. and and it is uh, primarily people talking to each other, which is the hardest thing to direct and make interesting. And also it's the hardest thing to edit because natural conversations don't have crisp editing points. You've got to find a way to overlap shots and things. And um, everything feels not just natural, but super authentic and really touching. And um, I think I just, this is probably for me Affleck's best directed movie to date. Like it is technically great and creatively great as well. Some really good shots and, and um, yeah, there's a lot too. of, a lot of really interesting and we're going to get into the technical technicalities of it. Lots of really interesting, mm. interesting, but functional blocking camera movements. Um, and just the way he shoots a lot of the conversations, I think, um, a lot of the conversations do have cuts, but they're clearly shot in such a way that they can be just speaking mm. for a while. Like the not so much, not like Spielberg style oneers, but clearly yeah. they are longer takes that are then cut. Yeah, together. and with more passive wider angles as well. There's one great yeah. moment where Chris uh, Tucker, in mid take, walks into a desk uh, as they're walking through and goes "ow," and um, Matt Damon laughs at him and just carries on with his next line, and they just pick up and carry on. And it clearly wasn't meant to happen. That wasn't directed for him to walk into a desk. 
but it just makes that like Damon's on fire in this anyway. He sounds really authentic in this, and uh, uh, that whole scene is a perfect encapsulation of the way the dialogue is delivered and directed in this. Is that it sounds like actual conversation, and I know yeah. that's a base. I know that's a basic thing, but it's really the highest for the highest compliment you can give this kind of movie. That the thing with acting is you gotta you gotta make it sound like everything you're saying is for the first time, and it feels like that. And it's so hard to get that right in a movie environment. So um, yeah, kudos to, to everyone for that. Anyone who's listened to the show for any length of time will know that, you know, I routinely say that I really do, I really enjoy films that feel like plays. And I think what you're talking about is basically what I'm talking about when I say that, when there's, they're very talky and it all feels very genuine. And that for the first time thing you just mentioned, I think is a big part of it. And this film in that way, this film doesn't feel like a stage play. Like it's not a single location. It's not, um, it's not like, played for the cheap seats or anything like that, but it does feel very genuine in every moment they're in. I think uh, I've watched this movie, I actually watched it a little while ago, um, but I distinctly remember at the end of it tweeting out that uh, there's a great character actor named Matthew Marr. Um, Marr, I think is how you pronounce his name. He plays the guy who designs the shoes. I distinctly remember tweeting out that like, I wish I spoke about anything with half the passion that this (laughs) character gives to these shoes. (laughs) <laughs> and the way, and just the way he delivers his lines, his every line that this character has, who again is the guy designing the shoes. Every line he has is mm. so thoughtful and so mm. just like a sincere, authentically sincere in the way that he's speaking about the design philosophy of shoes, and mm. I. I mean, I don't have that about shoes. And I like to think I have that about some things, but I just wish I had it in such an articulate way. You know what I'm talking yeah, about? I, absolutely. Yeah, I felt the same when... Um, so uh, Michael Jordan's agent it plays hardball, and Mike uh, won't even Chris, take it. Chris, Chris Messner is so good in this movie. Right. And uh, so he, he won't even set up a meeting with Matt Damon's character. So Matt Damon has the idea to go and speak to... He speaks to the parents, so Viola Davis and, and the dad... And um, because they they kind of she's got a central part in his career and so on. And when he ta- so he drives out to their their house and meets them. And I was expect kind of expecting him to try and play them like. But uh, he sits down with Viola Davis and and again kudos to Matt Damon and the way that character is written. I just loved exactly what you were saying that the way he and Viola Davis talk to each other is that there's no bullshit at all. And that Damon is so good at getting across that this guy truly, truly believes in the potential of Michael Jordan of, of for as being one of the world's greats and wanting to wanting not just to cash in on that but represent it in their product as well. And uh, again, it's brilliantly written and shot and edited to to feel natural. But that scene where he and Viola Davis are on the picnic bench talking to each other just had the most lovely sincerity and uh, politeness. I, I really react to politeness as well. And um, <laughs> Matt a, Damon is so polite and respectful. It's a very dad thing, I know. but uh, I mean, it's a very dad movie. It surprised me. Yeah, it's you know, such a dad movie. It's a it re- dad, dad drama. It's, it, is an yeah. interesting, it is an interesting entry in the burgeoning genre of product origin movies, uh, <laughs> yeah. of, which, of which we've had three this year so far. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah it's a very... Fun. Oh, with Tetris and um, Blackberry. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tetris is bad, though. Yeah. It's still in the still at entry, though. Um, yes, it's true. Yes. It's true. Yeah, it still exists, you know. It does. <laughs> um, and yeah, you know, like, and everyone, everyone in this is, like, the, the main thing to take away from what we're talking about here, I think, is that everyone in this movie is amazing. Um, it's one of those movies, how, you know, when you watch a movie with Viola Davis and you're like, she should probably win an Oscar for this. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, this is one. This is another movie like that where you're just like, oh, it's Viola Davis. I'll just get my Oscar ballot ready. Um, you know, and same with yeah. Matt. I think this is honestly Matt Damon is is often very good, and I I think this is one of oh, my favorite of his performances in a long time. Oh, by far, by far, absolutely. 
he is so good in this. And honestly, I don't think I've ever said that about Matt Damon as a performer. He's fine. I've just watched Ocean's Eleven, which is a great movie. My daughter chose that one too. And uh, he's fine in that, and he's fine in Born, and he's fine in everything else, and he's fine in Good Will Hunting. But he's really, like, maybe it's just because he's being directed by his best mate, and he's got a great script to work with as well, but he is so, so good in this. So I will say, if, if you're basing your opinion of Matt Damon on the movies listed, I would say you should watch more Matt Damon movies, because, oh, well, um, okay. for example, just in the last several years, he's amazing in the last duel he's in he's amazing in ford versus ferrari and uh what was the other one uh there's i mean i thought he was really good in interstellar too uh and the martian he's really good in the martian yeah i've seen both those and he's he's good he's good in those he's never like bad he's good but i yeah. he's exceptional if, in this Let's i mean honestly if you're if you're looking for another exceptional performance like ford versus ferrari which interestingly no, would 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 also count as another entry in the origin of product universe. <laughs> yes, um, it would. Um, I think he's exceptional in that too. Well, but uh, you know, good film. that's a that's a really good film. Yeah. Anyway, this is a air is a really good movie, and it's it's kind of a shame it didn't get a you know that we live in the streaming era because I think it could have done or maybe should have done really well in in cinemas. But it's on Prime, yeah. which means that everyone with Prime can watch it, and I think that's a good thing. It's weird, isn't it? Because it's the least complicated in terms of storyline and narrative out of all the product uh, development movies, all the dad uh, product movies. But I think as a movie, it would it would play the best in a theatre as well because it is it's a little over a tight ninety. It doesn't waste any time. It's it's got a very clear like beginning, middle, and end. It doesn't get too complex, um, and there's lots of human interaction, and and mm-hmm. I think that would play better than say Blackberry or Tetris would. In a well, I mean, Tetris is bad, so it doesn't really well, still exists, matter. Though. It still exists, yeah. I'm just saying I don't think it would play, play very well in a theater because it's not very good. <laughs> because it's bad. <laughs> it doesn't play well anyway. Although so how I, many keep, stars... I, do, I do keep seeing people saying they really love Tetris, and I see people saying they really loved nah. the next movie we're going to talk about, and I feel like I just oh, on, on a different, different plane of existence. I... Tetris fine. If people love Tetris, that's fine. But I, I don't get anyone loving the next movie we're going to talk about. Anyway. But anyway, how, how many stars for Air? Uh, for me, it's a four-star movie. And when I watch it again, I'd be willing to bet that if I watch it a second or maybe even a third time, it'll, it might go up to five. But it's yeah. right now, it's four. Same for me. Four-star movie. And uh, enjoyed it very, very much. And I will likely watch it again. Yeah, for me, I think the reason I say it might go up is that a big factor in movies that I end up rating five, not ones, there's obviously movies where I see that I'm like, that's a five-star movie. But there's other movies where I'm like, I see it, and then I see it again, and like third or fourth time down the road, I'm like, okay, this is a five-star movie. And yeah, for me, a big a big part of that ends up being rewatchability. Um, mm-hmm. And I feel like this movie will be very rewatchable, especially if you like this kind of movie, which I very much do. Mm-hmm. So, yep. yeah. Uh, well, Good. that being said, so two four stars. Definitely check out Air if you are a Prime Video subscriber. It is on Prime Video, and it it did have a very limited theatrical run, so it could possibly be playing somewhere near you uh, still. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, definitely, I would say if you have the chance, definitely watch it. Yes, please do. Yeah, um, so let's move on to our second film. We saw this earlier in the week, and it is now in theaters. Uh, Simon, why don't you give us just <laughs> just the briefest of rundowns on Transformers <laughs> Rise of the Beasts. Let's see if you can summarize oh. this plot in a way that makes... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Sense. Uh, good? Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> no, it's so, good. Just, tra- just make it make sense. It's fine. In, Trans- in Transformers: Rise of the Beast, which is placed uh, in the chronologically chronological um, series of Transformers movies, this takes place after Bumblebee and before Michael Bay's first Transformers. But it doesn't really matter. Um, what happens in this movie? Uh, there's a giant um, planet god. You see this before the credits. So it's not a spoiler. Called Unicron. Uh, if you have any knowledge of Transformers lore, you know that you, who Unicron is and his 
part that he plays in the in the wider lore. But in this, he's just a giant, a, a very grumpy planet-sized robot who likes to eat other planets. And um, he arrives at one planet which has robot animals on it, and he sends down his like lieutenant, who is absolutely not Ultron in any way whatsoever, and uh, and uh, and and not Ultron kind of heralds the uh, destruction of the planet, and you can join him or you can die. And thereafter, um, this MacGuffin that helps him um, travel great distances is basically a, a fast travel ticket, so he can go through the universe, all the universes and eat all planets so he can just eat everything. And so to um, to protect this MacGuffin key, the remaining uh, animal robots, uh, because their leader, the giant gorilla guy, uh, has a fight with not Ultron and buys time for his friends to uh, jump ship, literally. They use this key to travel to a different ga- part of the galaxy. Wouldn't you know it? Straight to Earth. Fast forward, so Unicron is like, oh, you fool, search search the universe for the key for me. And then we have the credits. And um, basically you have a twin storyline of Anthony Ramos um, trying to look after his little brother. And then you have uh, Dominique Fishback, who I liked a lot, playing Elena, playing a um, intern at a museum. Uh, but uh, of course she knows far more than anyone else there, but the the white lady takes all the credit for her knowledge and um there's a this thing is is brought in and they said oh it's probably just aztec it's like a bird shape and she's like no it's not aztec i don't that's something different and so she secretly researches it and wouldn't you know it, it has connections to these uh uh ancient uh robot animals that have become this is, like... this is way more detailed than i was expecting <laughs> oh okay sorry anyway so um th- through a hilarious series of circumstances anthony ramos tries to steal uh, mirage who's a for a, a porsche and basically um dominic fishback activates because wouldn't you know it she activates the thing and it sends out a signal and prime sees it and he's like oh shit this might be a way to get back to Unicron to to um cybertron their home so he's like, everyone go get this thing. We can go home. And that's when um, uh, Noah gets involved and the humans meet. And then the next uh, two hours is the robots um, fighting other robots in various gray areas until they have, uh, they go to an, a colorful place for a bit, but then they have an end game big fight against the big bad. And it is a grey, sludgy, boring mess that has nothing to do and does not represent any part of the Transformers that I know and love from my childhood. Yeah, I'm I mean, really that's... not. And that's it, really. It's terrible. It's pretty close. It's not. It's not. Uh, it's not a good. Not a good movie. <laughs> um... I'm, I'm. I'm done giving these movies a pass now. Like, how many more movies are we going to watch? where they decide to take the signature bright red of one character and think, I know, what if, hear me out, what if we made it a sludgy brown instead of a red? And what if we take that green and make that a sludgy sort of moss color green? And this, this, the one girl robot who's known for being this like bright Barbie pink robot bike, let's just make a kind of tepidy, reddy, pinky in the corner. And like it, faded, and faded just, 70s powder pink, I believe, would be the yeah. actual color. <laughs> and this guy gets a cool, like, colorful robot suit. What if we just make that kind of gray metal? Like, I don't understand who is making these movies in this way anymore. Because Bumblebee was the opposite of all these things. Bumblebee was interesting. It had great cast. It had great script. It was colorful. It was funny. And they've just gone, no, we're not going to do any of that. We're going to go back. And people say, oh, it's gone back to Michael Bay's Transformers. Michael Bay can shoot a movie with color and dynamic shots and interesting perspectives. And he knows how to shoot these things, even though the, the quality of them was not great. But um, I mean, this, I, is, this is nowhere near him at all. So I would say, if we're going to talk about Michael Bay movies, I would say that... What's the best way to say this? This is this is a bad movie, but it's not bad in any interesting ways. Right? Yeah. Like 
you can argue all you want about the Michael Bay movies. Lord knows I have. They are not good movies either. There's a ton of people online saying that this is the best Transformers movie. And first off, no. Um, but, but second off, but second off, like saying it's better than most of the Michael Bay movies is a very, very low bar to cross, right? Like they're mostly the only one I would say is the actually good, aside from just cashing in on my nostalgia, would be the first one, mm-hmm. and that is very much cashing in on my nostalgia. Um, but if nothing else, this movie is perhaps a little more visually coherent, but also has none of the visual flair that make those movies at least yeah. dynamic and interesting to watch. Exactly. Right? And I think there's a ton of good stuff in this movie. Don't get me wrong. Like, there's... It's not... Um, I don't think it's a complete... Uh, what am I trying to say? I think there's a lot of good choices that don't amount to anything. I guess is what I'm trying to say. I think mm-hmm. Anthony Ramos and Dominique Fishback are both quite good with the material they're given. I think that they're interesting mm-hmm. screen presences. I think they have give very dynamic and nuanced performances with really basic material. Um, I think it's always nice to hear Peter Cullen be Optimus Prime. Um, I think Pete Davidson, who I sort of hover on the edge of, like on the, it's like a knife edge of whether I like him or find him annoying. And I think that he kind of worked in this movie in the part. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, as this sort of like street talking uh, giant robot Porsche, um, and I also think that Coleman Domingo as the voice of Unicron is an inspired choice. That you know, Coleman Domingo has a very like powerful, distinctive, gravelly voice that really lends itself to um, the sort of outsized nature of Unicron. Even though Unicron mm-hmm. never transforms and only talks like six times, um, I w- and Ron Perlman is in this movie. That's all I need to say. I love Ron Perlman. <laughs> He's never he he plays the giant, the voice of the giant ape and ape robot, and that is a good thing. Uh, so is Ooh. Michelle Yeoh. Michelle Yeoh is a great performer, even in voice. And all these people, almost all of the voice cast, I think, is doing reasonably good work with super basic material. But just for clarity, also should be a kids' movie, so basic is not really a necessarily the bad thing that it sounds like. Oh, I, I mean, anyway, I, I watch. Obviously, I watch primarily "quote unquote" kids' movies these days, and it does not equate to the the ba- like. This is adults making what they think kids want to watch in a movie. Yeah, so that's where I'm not at all. That's what I'm trying to get to here. Is that like you can? I can see what they're going for with it. I just don't think it really works, despite the no. fact that all the all the performance I think are doing really well. Um, but also like. This movie has no consistency. I think that's honestly my biggest problem. Like, yes, everything you're talking about in terms of the color and visual flair, 100%. Um, I am so tired of modern blockbusters that have had digital color grades where the baseline color seems to be wet concrete. You know? Uh, and I think it started mm-hmm. with started with Marvel, and it's just... And then the Snyderverse took it to another level, and it's just been that mm-hmm. way, and I, and I do... Like, remember color in movies? I miss color. And movies i just i miss it so much um but what was i gonna say um yeah this my biggest problem yeah, yeah you're yeah. talking about prime popping up so my my biggest problem here is consistency and it is both it's a problem movie to movie and it is a problem scene to scene and what i mean by that is that this is clearly can't be if we're gonna be strict about the sort of lore be that kind of nerd this cannot be a prequel to Michael Bay's movies because in one of Michael Bay's movies, it's established that the planet Earth is Unicron. In this movie, Unicron is a different <laughs> entity. And honestly, that idea that Earth is Unicron is a super good one, super interesting one at least, because they spend the rest of the movie being like, how do we stop this asshole from waking up? You know? Uh, it's oh. it's an interesting, at least, switch up to the, to the mythology, right? Um, whereas this one just goes to him like he's just a planet-sized transformer who likes to eat planets. And we're going to bring him to Earth via a blue laser that opens a portal in the sky, which is a wholly original idea, right? Um, but then when I also mean scene to scene, so there's two scenes I want to mention in particular. One is like the midpoint of the movie where, so Anthony Ramos' character is like, we have to destroy the MacGuffin, otherwise we will the Earth will be destroyed. Like we must, we'll... The, the Autobots don't want the thing destroyed because they need to get home. 
But if they don't destroy it, he's worried the Earth will be destroyed. And the the good guys are all together, and the bad guys show up, and Optimus Prime says, Run, humans! Run away with the thing and keep it safe! And I will stay here and protect you! And then they run away, and then he goes to smash the thing, and then Optimus Prime shows up and says, No, don't destroy the thing! Out of and nowhere as well. He's literally like, like Out of nowhere... <laughs> Like, out of nowhere, and also, he just said he'd stay behind. Like, why is he there at all? Like, why isn't it any... Like, why isn't it Mirage being like, oh, you're going to destroy the thing and, like, betray our our budding friendship? Like, there's so many scenes in this movie that are some other character that should have just been Mirage. Yeah, oh, you know my God, I mean? absolutely. And yeah, without going spoilers, absolutely. Yeah, and then the other one is... my. This is the, the one that... Stuff like this always bothers me, and I know that I'm... People say turn your brain off and enjoy, but I just can't. But there's right at the beginning of the third act, Scourge, who, by the way, I'm going to come back to this (laughs) in a second, but I reject the notion that he's anything like Ultron. Um, What? He's he's standing on, like, the deck of the big thing that's going to shoot the sky laser into the sky and open the portal. And the good guys show up, and he looks at his henchmen and says, protect the thing. Like, don't let them get the thing. And then he turns back to camera and moves out of frame. And in the next shot, he's still on the platform and they're running into battle. Like he literally just told them to stay there. <laughs> he literally just said, stay here and protect the thing. And they they run off into the battle. And it's just little shit like that that just bothers me every time. Like if you're going to do that, like if you're going to pre-visit to the point where the henchmen run off, then I don't know, maybe make that make sense with the dialogue. I, am I crazy? Am I crazy? I feel like I'm crazy. I think I feel like I'm crazy taking crazy pills. No, it's just like it, it is a general lack of understanding of of what the story needs, and in, in place of okay, we'll just do this cool moment and this cool moment, and then we'll have oh, Scourge has got like remember how Soundwave he popped his chest open and the little cassettes came out, and you had the red bird and you had the purple like panther. I can't remember their names now, and you had all this cool shit going on. Well, what if Scourge had like little guys like that that sort of emerge from his body? Except Scourge is entirely metal gray, and then the things that pop out of his body are entirely metal gray. And, and they're so, also not coming from anywhere. They just sort of morph out sort of his of, yeah, metal. They sort of just emerge out from the, the shittiness of their design. And th- so there's this big sludgy fight with a million different gray robots on both sides and it, and then there's of course all the lasers are blue like that that light blue kind of look to match the laser that's firing into the sky it's impossible to know who the fuck is fighting who or even who is meant to be who in the fight like there's a basic misunderstanding of how movies work on a visual level and i don't understand well, why does designers do that it's actually really interesting too because in the big final fight so to this point through the whole movie, every time we've seen the Maximals, the robot transformers, um, they've been in their in their animal form. And the, I don't know why it's called Rise of the Beasts. Like they don't. This is not really their movie. It's definitely Optimus Prime's movie um, and Mirage. We're going to put a second one in there. But anyway, they're running into this final battle in their animal forms, and Optimus Primal, which is just we'll come come back to that. But he says, you know, Maximals, maximize, and they all turn into giant gray robots, and it makes them way harder to, t- to tell out in a crowd. Yeah. And they've also been doing a really good job fighting. Like, why do they need robot forms, is my question. Like, they don't. Like, they've been holding their own and doing better than the Autobots in their yeah. ro- in their animal forms to this point. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Like, they don't need to transform. In fact, maybe they shouldn't transform if we're supposed to be able to tell them apart. And Ugh. and like to be fair, when I when you see the scenes, like I can sort of tell them apart, but not when they're in robots. Not not when they're in robot form. No. And this this movie also suffers from the problem that basically all of the Michael Bay ones suffer from, in that Optimus Prime is an asshole. <laughs> mm. And totally. you know, this is the he he hates humans for like no reason, for no explained reason. Uh, at the beginning of this film and at the end he's come around to you know to anthony ramos's character but like not for any not for any reason that makes any sense right like they have one little moment at the end where one they save each other and he's like oh i like humanity now and that's that's it's not it's not an arc it's a right turn like it's it's 
it's yeah. it, oh, it's so lazy. It is lazy. It's so lazy. That's the perfect word for it. Yeah. And the it's just I don't know. The, and like and, and I do keep seeing. I uh, sorry. I do keep seeing people saying that like Scourge is just Ultron. I'm like, no, he's not. And I'll tell you why. It's because Ultron was at least fun. Like Ultron, oh, I don't make... like Ultron. Like right. Ultron at least had a distinct body language and that James Spader cadence of the way he spoke and a sense of mm-hmm. humor and, and zippy dialogue. Um, so, I, I agree and, with and, all that. But like, when I, when I... sorry, go, go ahead. But like, you're about to say that he looks the same. And I would say that yeah. he, um, he, he, he doesn't, he doesn't unless you were to take Ultron and like cover him in 10 years of rust and wash out the color even further. Like it's no, uh, so, it's like a very degree. Yeah. Like it's, I mean, they look the same in that they're both big robots, but that to me is about it. So, so to be really, really specific about what I was saying about it looks like Ultron. There's one point, spoiler, where they knock. He's he's wearing this like protective face shield. It's meant to be this moment where someone lands a hit on Scourge. He's meant to be like impossible to to hit or or kill. And someone knocks his face mask off, and he looks up, ba ba ba, and the face design of his face is identical to Ultron's design. It's exactly the same thing. So all of your points are correct. Ultron is at least written and performed in a much more successful and satisfying way. And the color is there as well. But his face design is exactly the same. I mean, it's just so... uh, I, I understand that they don't pay... Hollywood does not pay its VFX artists enough. They don't give them enough time to do what they want to do. And they are often told what to do by people who don't understand effective VFX. So I know all of that is an issue, but I'm just sick of these movies being the lowest common denominator without any kind of spark or flair. And it didn't help that the next day I saw uh, Across the Spider-Verse, which really... And after Spider-Verse, I wrote a review of Transformers, which you should definitely read on the site. Because it is uh, like I'm just not giving a pass to this like drabness anymore. It's not acceptable, especially for a kids' movie. Kids don't want to watch this. My kids don't want to watch this kind of shit at all. Yeah, I don't really get it, and I feel like I'm in an alternate universe because I think I I think I didn't dislike it as much as you clearly do, but mm. I keep seeing people saying that it's fun, and yeah. for me for me I would say that there's there's a bunch of decent stuff in the first two thirds and it completely falls apart in the third act would be the most generous way to frame it. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but, it, but the key, the key takeaway here is that is not for me is not that the first two, two thirds are good. It's that it completely falls apart in the third. <laughs> it's, it, it becomes just another visual sludge battle whilst someone is trying to open a portal in the sky via a blue sky laser. And I'm so just tired yeah, and also like, you know, inevitably Optimus Prime fights Scourge in the first act and fights him again in the third act. And normally there would be like again some character arc to make it make sense that Optimus Prime wins in the third act. But <laughs> you'd think so, wouldn't you? But in this case, it's more just that like no, it just he just fights him again. Like he doesn't have like the power of belief <sighs> on his side at that point. He doesn't have any upgrades, or he hasn't discovered the secret of Energon, Energon. You know, like. And and then there's oh, a there is an admittedly God. really great um, sequence where a certain transformer like parachutes into battle and whips a bunch of ass, but it's the wrong transformer for the story. And I'm so oh. and like it just it just suffers from that thing people talk about where it feels like the movie was prevised and then written. This movie feels like that to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, and I just I can't I can't abide it. I feel like. Every time I read a good review of this movie, I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. Yeah. Even though, as I said, there are a few good things in it. And uh... yeah, I I really really like. I, I've never seen her before. Dominique Fishback um, plays um, her character Valena. She plays really really uh, as a very like a keyed introvert, and she doesn't deviate from that. She doesn't towards the end learn or change her character because Anthony Ramos is kind of a a cool. I mean, everyone's a horrible stereotype in this movie. Like, let's let's not let's not skim over that part. He, Anthony Ramos is exactly the kind of Latino hotshot you would expect with a checkered past. But she plays it as 
an introvert, even when in the final third she's trying to do very, very dangerous things. And I really liked her performance in this. And I really liked how she um, how she balanced it. But the, I'm being very generous that like the the script is awful. Like to call it superficial would be uh, an under exaggeration. Like everyone is like the worst kind of stereotype. The human interaction is there just to stitch together these previous scenes, and uh, it is well, largely awful. I mean, mild spoilers here, but you're you're leaving out the part where the Maximals escape to Earth, of course with the MacGuffin. And when the good guys, when our main characters go to find the MacGuffin, they find, oh, it's been split in two. And uh, so they have to go find the other half. And then when they find the other half, it's not there because the bad guys already have it. And then they have to go and find, they have to find the code to deactivate the MacGuffin so the bad guys can't win. And guess, guess what happens with the code, though? Also split in two. <laughs> I mean... Uh... I'm just saying there are more numbers, right? There's more numbers. <laughs> and, uh, it's, uh, yeah. Anyway, I would, if, you, if, I you haven't seen Dom, if you haven't seen Dominic Fishback, I'm going to go ahead and say you should definitely watch Judas and the Black Messiah and you should maybe watch Project Power one time just so you can see her, but it's not a very good movie. Um, I don't know what that is either, but Project Power is a, a Netflix action movie that has Jamie, her, and Jamie Fox and um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, where they can take a pill and they gain temporarily gain superpowers. Um, oh. It's not great, but she's in it and she's good in it. So, yeah, I will check her out for sure. Yeah, and uh, she was in the Deuce, which is an underrated HBO show that is now difficult to watch because of the James Franco of it all. Oh no! Yeah, he plays two characters in it, twins. Anyway, uh, it's, uh, yeah. So anyway, Transformers Rise of the Beasts, how many stars is it going to end up with for you? <sighs> so I gave it, I gave it two stars because I liked Dominic Fishback and I, I like Anthony Ramos generally. And, um, there's one point I hated the first act. I hated the third act. There's a middle act where they go somewhere and it gets a bit more colorful. And there's one sequence in it that you've seen in the trailer. So it's not a spoiler, but there's one chase sequence in it. Um, that they, you've seen all the good bits in the trailer, and so I think it's just, just enough to get two stars from me. How about you? Yeah, it's two stars from me based on the cast and nothing else. Yeah, basically. But I don't, re I don't recommend watching this movie. It's yeah. go and watch the animated original from ADU Four, which is not a perfect movie in itself, but at least it's colorful and exciting and dynamic and a bit crazy and a bit stupid, but it's really, really fun. Yeah. So, as a closing note, how would you then rank the Transformers films, not counting like so the the five Bay films, Bumblebee and this? Mm -hmm. I'm putting Bumblebee's obviously at the top for me, and then yeah. one, and then the rest of them would be. Yeah, I, I'm and, exactly the same. Although I, I would I, say I, I would say that despite not very much liking this one, I would still put Revenge of the Fallen at the bottom. <sighs> That's uh, just terrible. That might be the one I turned off. I haven't seen. I've only seen two. Of the first two of Bay's uh, Bumblebee is the the top easily. Uh, there's no. There's no co even remote competition. And then the first Bay movie because it's got some great Bay shots in it, and um, I like the the Shia LaBeouf Megan Fox dynamic. I like very very much. And uh, then the rest of them, and they're just a grey sludgy mess, uh, as per the movies. A yeah. sludgy mess together. And that's a shame. Because, like, oh. I really wanted... I was really hoping this movie would be good. Because um, yeah, Bumblebee was good, and it just turns out that it's not. Yeah. So, And I don't think... To be clear, I don't actually think it's even... Like, Stephen... Capel? Capel? Stephen, the director, Stephen... I think it's Capel Jr. Um, who also directed Creed 2. Um, I think he's not doesn't appear to me to be a terrible director. I think that mm -hmm. this film is hamstrung by again, it, it feels like that thing that people complain about with Marvel films where it feels like the film is half done when they bring a director and a writer in. That's what this film, film feels like to me. The bits with all the people in it, like the actual acting, I think is well directed. Um, and I think there are some interesting shots, at least, in some of the fights. I don't, I think that this, I think it's really a I don't know, man. Like, I don't know. I don't know where exactly to put the blame on this movie because I feel like 
it's just collapses. It's like a singularity. It's just collapsing on itself. Nothing about it works. And I don't think it's any one person's fault. It, it feels very much like a toy company wanted a slice of um, the MCU. Uh, for, for, and when you see the movie, you'll understand that to a, to a, a more advanced degree. There is Yeah, but at least the uh, MCU uh, understood that when you had your two teams of good guys meet up, they had to have some antagonism at first. These two teams meet up and just go like, ah, <laughs> oh, we're all Transformers. Let's go fight the bad guys, which aren't our usual yeah. bad guys. They're your usual bad guys. It's, I mean, th- this this is one of the many, many movies that wants a slice of MCU without understanding what MCU did well to achieve the uh, reputation that they have now. Like, you can't just connect all your universes together and have a great big gray sludgy fight at the end of your movie and magically have your own movie um, universe. Yeah. So uh, it, yeah, it's not it's not good. Anyway, but, it, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a film that exists, and I. There's much better things happening right now, is my yes. my take. Yes. Anyway. Go see Spider-Man instead, which is what you're doing in about an hour and a half. I'm That's true. So I'm so excited. Oh, I'm so excited for you to see this movie. Yeah, let's oh not my ta- God. Let's, let's not talk about it, because I need to go see it okay. still. But let's wrap up the show okay. so that okay. I can go see it. So thank you to okay. everyone who's listening. Uh, we appreciate each and every one of you, whether you're new here or not. Um Thank you. We hope you enjoyed it. And if you would like to reach us, uh, hit us up on the socials. You can find the show at Awesome Friday CA uh, on uh, Instagram and Twitter. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Matthew AF. And you can find Simon on Twitter at Temporary Pen. You can also email us comments at awesomefriday.ca. Um, uh, how else can you reach us? That's Those are the main ways. Uh, there's also a form on awesomefriday.ca. If, uh, if you'd like what you heard, please consider giving us a five-star review on your podcasting platform of choice uh, and to like and subscribe and help us get into all of the charts. Uh, we've started charting in an interesting way lately, and we'd like to thank everyone mm. for that. And yeah. if you if you really want to support us in a more direct fashion, we do have both a Patreon and a Kofi, and those will be coffee, and those will be both linked in the show notes. And all Patreon patrons do get access to our weekly bonus chats, which are anywhere from fifteen to twenty five minutes, where we talk about all the stuff we just normally talk about. It's uh, more of a casual conversation. This week we talked um, a whole bunch about other movies, including. Um, Aquaman and uh, the elder stateswomen of acting Julie Andrews and uh, a number of other things. Um, we, of course, record this here in Vancouver on the unceded ancestral lands of the Musqueam, Tsleil-Waututh, and Squamish nations. And thank you one more time for listening and for joining us on this awesome Friday. Bye.